Welcome to the About Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Skirtu. I'm a licensed marriage therapist in the state of Missouri and an ASEC certified sex therapist. You can find me at www.therapistinstlouis.com. Today I'm interviewing Jamie Heilman. Is that how you like me to pronounce it? That doesn't. Okay. Jamie Heilman, executive director of... She's already got me laughing before we started, so I'm like dying introducing you right now. Ms. Jamie Heilman, executive director of Trans education services. And just a quick blurb, I'm an educational consultant, she is, for trans and LGBTQ cultural competency and diversity and inclusion. Hello, Jamie. It's good to meet you. Actually, I already know you. <laughs> well, it's great to be here. <laughs> Thank you for being here. So um, first of all, what are you doing right now in your professional life that you want to tell the world about? <laughs> so... Um still you know on the transgender spectrum conference committee um, for this year and then I'm chairing it next year mm-hmm. that's uh, I think a really important conference it's one of the largest trans focused conferences here in the Midwest mm-hmm. happens here in St. Louis this year at Washington University um, I'm still heavily involved with my educational consultancy mm-hmm. trans education service uh, working with um, financial institutions, HR departments, educational and healthcare institutions mm-hmm. for cultural competency training, policy development and implementation. And then I also am working with Washington University, School of Medicine, Division of Infectious Diseases, Prep Education Project. So working on um, you know trans and LGBTQ culturally competent mm-hmm. um, educational facilitations about uh, HIV uh, prevention. Okay, so why I was laughing before the show started? I feel like it's relevant. It's cold. We we were able to talk about culture here. Yes, yes. I hope so. <laughs> so um, recently. Um, the people who are listening on the podcast aren't actually, this isn't going to be relevant information. This will be six weeks from now. But the people on the live stream, this is recent. There were shootings over this weekend. And so you were just telling me about some rhetoric going on, about what people feel is going on for the shooting. So why don't you tell me a little more about that? <laughs> sure. So, um, you know, there's all the normal press, um, the NRA saying, you know, someone should do something about this, but not about the guns. Uh, mm-hmm. We have the political parties in their normal um, <clears throat> armed camps. Uh, I was a little surprised, though, this morning, uh, an Ohio uh, lawmaker, a Republican lawmaker in southwestern Ohio, um, and she was backed by several other Ohio Republicans, um, deduced that the shootings are the responsibility of all of the transgenders and homosexuals. I was a little surprised by this because as a member, high-ranking member of the gay agenda. (laughs) um, She has several commemorative plaques or ribbons. Some some medals, some stars. um, So I love that you say high-ranking, I'm dying. So, yeah, uh, high-ranking member of the Central Committee. Um, Mostly I'm in charge of making sure that we have enough cookies. But uh, otherwise, yeah, I guess we've been doing that too, making uh, making somehow it 
um, a more reasonable thing to have these uh, senseless shootings. So <laughs> it's who, not been my knew? awareness <laughs> that that's the case. <laughs> who knew? <laughs> well, one thing that you said that I thought was quite funny about, you know, like, it seems like guns have a lot more rights at times than people. <laughs> well, as uh, a woman who is lesbian and trans, I think it's amazing that my vagina does not have the same civil rights as an AR-15. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why? I just... I, I, I'm baffled sometimes by how rights don't seem to transfer to uh, females, to the transgender population, to the LGBTQ population, to anybody, um, <laughs> well, to anybody um, other than cis, white, gender, specifically males at times. <laughs> and I hate saying that because I try to be really inclusive of everyone, including cisgender white males. But it feels like at times the political climate is just not for anyone outside of that group. <laughs> what are your thoughts? <laughs> I think equality and not just, uh, you know, gender equality, but trans and LGBTQ equality. I, mm -hmm. I think the struggle for equality has never been linear. Yeah. There are most definitely peaks and valleys, and I think mm -hmm. it's safe to say that we are in a valley at this time, but that's okay because through conflict and confrontation usually arise opportunity okay. to build new alliances, uh, new allies, mm -hmm. new strategies. So while things right now, I'm going to use a technical term here, kind of suck, <laughs> I genuinely think we can and will do better. I really hope so, because I do see when things like this happen and people can't understand each other, there's a little bit of an anger and a passion that rises out of that that sometimes gets people talking in a better way, in a deeper way about some of these issues. And I hope one day <laughs> or even today is that more of those conversations can occur. So what's what kinds of things are going on? I wanted to bring you on because I knew that with the political shift <laughs> that there's probably some things that are impacting the transgender community. And I was kind of curious what your thoughts are about where transgender rights are right now. <laughs> well, the current administration has taken 108 specific acts against the LGBTQ community. Some of this is policy change through the different cabinets uh, and departments. Some of this, uh, most of this is through executive orders. Um, 92 of those were targeting the trans community. So that's everything from the Department of Justice no longer prosecuting um, criminal discrimination cases against trans people, uh, the trans military ban, mm -hmm. um, which you know now continues, um, the lack of access to health care evenly across the country. There's no federal provision. Uh, that uh, includes trans or LGBTQ rights under the, the big buckets covered in the 1964 Civil Rights Act, such as education, health care, uh, housing, um, fair employment and hiring practices. And so, you know, there are states that have their own um, human rights acts that do cover about 21 states that include trans people in their human rights acts and 27 that include um, lesbian, gay, and bisexual folk. 
Missouri is uh, is neither. Missouri uh, co- covers neither. So it's a really uneven regulatory environment. You know, if you, as you look across the horizon, um, let me mix a few metaphors together here. Okay, why not? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've got Illinois next door where, you know, the state had marriage equality even before the Obergefell ruling by the Supreme Court. It came about as a result of the legislature. And then we have Missouri that was one of the last 13 states that came dragging its feet, kicking and screaming. We're always the last states. (laughs) Or at least one of them. We're always very behind the times, I've noticed. There's always Mississippi. Oh, well... (laughs) Okay, well, hey, that makes me feel better. <laughs> You're throwing me off a lot today, Jamie. <laughs> uh, it's it's Monday. It's a Monday. It's been such a long day. It's still Monday, right? It's still Monday. <laughs> Good Lord. But there's always Mississippi. <laughs> yeah, I've had a lot of Missourians tell me that, you know, anytime they feel a little down about the lack of progress in their state, you know. They always give this sad kind of sigh and they shrug their shoulders and say, well, you know, we'll always beat Mississippi. So, mm-hmm. so there's that. There's hope. That's, that's hope. <laughs> yes. The hope of the lowest common denominator. <laughs> Sorry. Continue mixing your metaphors. We were on a very important track. You just keep throwing me off that I'm like, I have no idea where I am anymore. <laughs> So, you know, it makes it difficult for a lot of trans and LGBTQ people to, mm-hmm. you know, to plan their lives. I mean, literally, you could live in a town on the Mississippi River in Illinois and drive to work on the Missouri side, which is something I myself do. Mm-hmm. And when I cross the river, you know, I lose half my civil rights. And before marriage equality, uh, it was even worse. You know, when I head west, headed west to go to work, all of a sudden I was a single woman. And when I crossed the bridge on the way back east, then I was magically married again. Mm. And, um, and I'm glad that that's gone for a whole lot of reasons. I, I like the idea that my marriage is honored everywhere I go mm-hmm. in my own country. I don't think people think about this stuff. You know what I mean? Like on a day-to-day basis, how how much all of the, so like we read about it, but like to see just how it's impacting your life on an everyday basis. And like, I even, I knew there were a lot of changes in legislation that were occurring, but to even know that there's over a hundred and that they're mostly, why do you think they're mostly, I know you can't answer all these big questions, but I'm just like, fix it, please. (laughs) Well, they're mostly not legislation. Okay. We have actually very positive legislation that's passed the house Mm -hmm. called the Equality Act which uh, basically explicitly guarantees the same coverage for LGBTQ Americans as is covered in the Civil Rights Act. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of corrects an historical omission. Um, It's not creating new rights or special rights. It's just uh, confirming equal rights. Mm -hmm. However, uh, the Senate Majority Leader has vowed that that legislation will not even be allowed a floor vote in the Senate where it has bipartisan support, not just Democrats, but there are Republicans who would vote for the Equality Act as well mm-hmm. if, they, if they got the chance. But um, that's if it ever is allowed to be on the legislative agenda and voted in an open floor vote. 
So we'll see. And that's see. just to protect rights that already exist. That's to confirm equal applicability for LGBTQ people for the most basic civil rights that all Americans are heir to, that all Americans should enjoy. You know what? I don't think everybody knows what those are. Do you know what those basic... Sure. I actually love having you on because you're just so educated and informed. I'm like, I want to learn everything and extract every piece of information I can from you. Because people don't even know that stuff either. Sure. So when you look at the federal level, Mm -hmm. um, there's no explicit mention or guarantee of rights when it comes access to education, health care. I mentioned fair employment and hiring. Um, when it comes to LGBTQ folk, there, there's mm-hmm. no explicit inclusion at this time. However, in court cases, establishing case law precedent and acro- across the federal appellate courts, you know, there are clusters of states where uh, LGBTQ people have been uh, ruled applicable for civil rights law and, and in- included. That's probably the better word. I should have said that first. Included. (laughs) And so, you know, we have states, uh, you know, leapfrogging across the U.S. where people have the same, uh, based on case law precedent, uh, de facto the same rights as everybody else. You know, Mm -hmm. queer folk uh, have the same rights as everybody else. And then in the next state over, you know, in any given direction, uh, that's not the case. Mm -hmm. So, at some point, it's going to wind up in front of the Supreme Court and it's going to get settled. I would love for it to be settled by a legislative fix so -hmm. that the people's representatives are actually passing law that fixes social problems and inequities. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if we can't get that done, then I'd be happy to see the Supreme Court rule in favor. Mm -hmm. Because right now we have a a federal um, split in terms of the, the circuit courts and appellate courts. One of the things I was thinking about is, you know, like those unalienable rights. Um, I don't know if that's in the Constitution or the preamble, and I'm sorry because it's been a while since I've been in government, but I was just thinking about life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, those three, okay? And I was thinking of how that many people are not, they're not aware of just how many ways that that you are impacted being in the LGBTQ community and how many ways that can be taken away. And so you're talking about like access to healthcare, access to schools, even access to jobs, because part of the military ban is taking away access to jobs for somebody in that, in that, in that umbrella. Thinking of like, even like when I hear what's happening out in the world, like even access to get business in different places, you know, like those are, those are all the ways that People in the LGBTQ community, as you say, depending on what state they live in and what rules are being upheld and not upheld, are changing their lives and their ability to even buy cake, which I know there was, I'm just saying, there was a cake thing that happened where somebody couldn't buy cake. And like, for somebody who isn't aware of that, they're just not aware of how many ways every day that is impacting somebody, depending on where they live and their access to get out of that state if it's not a safe state, you know, because not every state is the same. They're not all equal in their giving of equal rights. How are you seeing... So I'm in a, I'm a little bit of a tangent and maybe a little bit of a rage. <laughs> I'm just being honest about that. <laughs> but it sounds like an okay kind of rage. <laughs> Oh, please give me permission for my rage. (laughs) I can't remember who said it, but anger is the backbone of change, right? 
if we get enough people pissed off about the same thing at the same time. <laughs> and then can, organizing them. <laughs> and organize, yes. Uh, you know, we can convert that anger to positive change. It can be done. That's true, because anger gives energy. It makes people move and grow in some way. But so I guess I'm speaking to the choir because you're like, yeah, Angela, I do that all the time. Whatever. <laughs> well, um, I do. But <laughs> but I think what I, what I do that's more important than any of my personal advocacy is with, um, you know, my educational facilitations, my public speaking. I, I like to think that I give people who want to know better so that they can do better, our cisgender and heterosexual allies, to give them the tools, the understanding, the vocabulary uh, in order to have discussions that weren't happening before. Mm-hmm. I think um, a lot of the rejection and difficulties that come from navigating the world uh, while queer uh, come less from explicit and open malice and more from uh, a whole lot of folks just not knowing how to start a conversation because most of us think of ourselves as the as the good guys in our personal narrative right and in yeah. the in the western flick we all are seeing ourselves as yeah, the, the guys wearing the, <laughs> the gunslingers but wearing the white hats you know the good guys you know who's six Careful years which never white hat though <laughs> yeah yeah a hat not hood <laughs> I'm totally so, messing with you right now. <laughs> oh, that's fine. So, you know, a lot of people are afraid to, you know, to ask questions and start conversations because they're afraid of causing offense. So yeah. if any way I can help people do that, you know, rather than necessarily giving them answers, giving them the right questions to ask, making them feel more comfortable about starting those conversations. Um, I, I think that's kind of planting seeds for for bigger change for tomorrow. Well, let's than go just, there. What are some... Oh, sorry. I know you had a... Oh. Well, you can finish your topic. I just want to know also, what are the questions asked? So let's give it to them. Oh, <laughs> well, I was kind of hoping we would get to this part. Okay, <laughs> cool. All right. I was on the right track. I'm just so excited. <laughs> no, no. Um, I, but I was just going to say, I feel like sharing this information uh, will do a lot more than you know me climbing on any particular soapbox anywhere. Um, Although I'm very glad to have this platform right here right now today, and thank you. But uh, some of them are issues of basic cultural competency. Okay. You know, so maybe there's some coworkers and they, you know, see that another coworker has been going through some changes lately, maybe hair, maybe they're wearing makeup, they weren't before, Mm -hmm. clothes, things like that. And so no one says anything. You know, maybe this person is trans and they're transitioning and they're kind of thinking, well, wow, I, you know, people used to talk to me aren't talking to me anymore. You know, I, I feel really isolated mm-hmm. and I don't feel like a welcome member of the team. And that's what I felt like before. And what it really is, is, you know, people see the changes. Mm-hmm. They want to be able to acknowledge them. They like to be able to talk openly about them, but they don't know how to start those conversations so, you know, giving people a few sample questions such as, you know, hey, I've noticed this uh, change about you, you know, talk about hair or shoes, you know, something non-threatening mm-hmm. and say, uh, I just want to know if maybe you would be willing to share anything about your journey, what you're going through. I like that word too. I want to put it out there. Journey gives it kind of like an open-ended, yeah, I want to learn about what's going on in your journey. I'm seeing some changes. So it's again, very open-ended, but you're not making any judgments or assessments or assuming anything. You're just like, why don't you tell me a little bit about 
You. <laughs> and that's exactly right. Open-ended questions and not making assumptions. So mm-hmm. the ball's in the other person's court to share what they're happy and willing and comfortable to share at the but time. also withhold things they don't want to. Exactly. So they can maintain their confidentiality, but also respond and you know begin the kind of conversation that leads to more expensive, uh, more uh, more expansive inclusion in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And we see this in numbers. Just six years ago, only 19% of Americans could say that they had met or spoken with or knew a trans person Mm. that they knew of. Because most trans people live stealth and don't reveal their trans status. But that number has changed. And now 40% of Americans know, met, and have spoken to a trans person. So in just a little over five years, you know, that is a real sea change. That's a real development. Well, I think that shows a change in some safety, actually, for transgender persons too, wouldn't you say? That's absolutely right, because uh, we're seeing more people come out younger. Mm-hmm. Um, that's because obviously, you know, they have more opportunity to, uh, opportunity to they feel safer, mm-hmm. they have more access to the resources needed um, to begin transition at earlier ages. Mm -hmm. So that's a factor. Um, They're seeing a lot more years through a person's life course of them living as their genuine authentic selves and and not playing a role that they got handed on the day they were born. Mm -hmm. I, I know that some people listening are unfamiliar with some of the terms and like what it means to be. So I was just gonna throw a few out there and get your perspectives on. One is, um, transitioning. One is gender fluid. <laughs> so I'll just put those two out there and just get your perspectives. See how that was an open-ended conversation. Sure, <laughs> sure. <question. laughs> I like that. You know, rather than asking for definitions, you know, because you know the definitions uh, change. Yeah. And what it means to you changes. So what are your thoughts on those things? <laughs> so the big bucket idea when using the term transition about a trans person's life is that period where they begin to live in their actual gender, their lived gender, um, rather than the gender they were assigned at birth. Mm-hmm. And there are four main components to that. Social transition. So this is navigating the world as as who they are, not what necessarily the name and gender marker on their driver's license say. Mm-hmm. It's uh, psychotherapeutic. Um, there's a lot of uh, stigma. There's a, a lot of self-loathing mm-hmm. and other issues that have to be navigated for someone to be really comfortable in their own skin. Uh, there's also uh, medical transition. So that's hormone replacement therapy. That's gender confirmation surgery. Mm-hmm. Not all people have surgery. Um, Not all people have HRT. Um, Some have one and not the other. Mm -hmm. And then the last of those four buckets is uh, legal transition. So imagine every way, shape, and form that your legal identity transects with the world. Mm -hmm. Your credit cards, credit reporting agencies, your your lines of credit, student ID, student loans, Mm -hmm. mortgage, Passports, Social Security Administration, insurance of all kinds. And I could go on for probably the rest of the, the hour. But um, we have more important things to but say. But we have all <laughs> kinds of other things to say. Yes, yes. So uh, all those have to be changed one by one. And they have to be done in an or- a certain order. 
So, you know, the legal transition uh, can be as time-consuming as any of the other components of transition. But the one that gives the most relief where people can actually move through the world and, and, um, and see themselves in it, that's a social transition. Okay. What about the other, the gender, gender fluid? fluid? What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> so the majority of trans people identify as um, you know, men who happen to be trans or women who happen to be trans. Mm-hmm. But there's a large number who don't identify with those binaries. And I say binary because, you know, once upon a time, the world thought everyone was a man or a woman, and that was it. That was all you could be, and that's what everyone was. The only thing is, that never really existed. There's never been a time where everybody did fit in just that bucket or this other bucket. Um, Humans have always been more complex. You know, biology has always been more complex than that. Nature loves variety. Society hates it. Because <laughs> we like things to fit into easy boxes. Exactly. Because <laughs> then we can put labels on them. They're known quantities. You know, mm-hmm. we know what they are. No surprises. You can make a lot of assumptions about that box. It's great. All the assumptions. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, but life is, is just more complex than that. Um, thank goodness, because otherwise it'd be boring as hell. I know. There's a, I actually kind of like all that variety. You know, I was recently asked what my favorite color is and I happen to say the rainbow. <laughs> Just because even to choose a color, I'm like, they're all so pretty. Why would I, why would I choose one? <laughs> why would you want to limit yourself? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It just made so many laughs. They're like, really? Yes. Yes, that's my favorite color. And you don't get to judge me. (laughs) So uh, nice segue from Mm -hmm, that comment mm -hmm. to to talking about uh, genderqueer folk Uh, and gender fluid um, folks. So these are people that see themselves either outside of that binary of male or female. mm Mm-hmm. They may see aspects of both binary genders in their own gender makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, they may identify uh, in the middle. Mm-hmm. They may identify completely outside of it. Yeah. There are people who identify as agender, saying that they do not hold any sense of gender. Mm-hmm. And when they navigate the world and they see themselves in it, you know, they don't see themselves gendered in any way. Uh, gender fluid people um, find themselves kind of between the binary, but not always in the same place mm-hmm. um, at the same time. Um, their their sense of identity and how they hold gender might be more female one day. It might be more male one day. And that's a completely separate thing, you know, gender identity versus gender expression. Mm-hmm. So you could have a completely cisgender person uh, who one day maybe she wears... Uh, red silk, you know, cocktail dress, and the next day, um, you know, filthy sweatpants and a tank top that most recently had been used when changing oil in her car. Mm-hmm. Well, and to be fair, regardless of how you identify, I mean, most people, like, I'm just putting myself on the line here, right? There's some days I want to wear my nice little dress, and other times I kind of want to wear sweats too. I don't want to get under a car, though. Definitely, that's not in my to-do list. <laughs> 
So, <laughs> but I appreciate it if you do. <laughs> not me. No, that's not me at all. <laughs> and that's okay. You're allowed to be that. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's not just trans people or gender queer or gender nonconforming people. Mm-hmm whose gender expressions may not always match their gender identity or their their legal gender, mm-hmm. you know, what's on the driver's license, right? Um, you know, women have always had a little bit more freedom um, in modern times than men in terms of gender expression, you know, to, you know, wear jeans during the day and then a dress at night. The reverse is not so easy for men. Um, it isn't, is it? They're... You know, they're policed uh, very heavily in terms of their gender expression. And I don't think we actually think about that a lot, you know, because women are on stage 24-7. We're always judged by our appearance. So we take it for granted that, you know, it's women who are really policed in terms of how we appear. But it's men, too. You know, mm-hmm. men are very constrained in, in the colors that they can wear and the kind of clothes that they can wear. And the emotions they can express. Absolutely. That's the heart of toxic masculinity, which brings us back to the shootings. <laughs> we just went full circle. <laughs> Pretty scary, huh? It is. It is. Some part of me went to like like institutionalized racism and bigotry for like what's really causing some of this. And I can't, I mean, I, we could spend forever on that, but I was like, I feel like this is a bigger, bigger, broader picture that we're missing when it comes to these shootings, when it comes to toxic masculinity, it's like in the way that we relate to people. And, and I think I appreciate what you do, Jamie, because you're the kind of person that's like in there trying to give people like not everybody, first of all, not everybody wants to be a toxic male or a toxic female. Not every, like you said, most people are the good guy in their story. And I think most people really do care about others and don't want horrible things to happen like the shootings or even racism or bigotry. But like we want the ability to make change and we want the ability to communicate with the people around us, even if we're not sure and familiar. I'm not saying there isn't some fear and bigotry that really they, there are some people who really don't care. But I think the vast majority of people do. They just don't know what step to take. What are your thoughts on it? I couldn't agree more. Um, like I said, it would be very easy to be you know, down and depressed as we look at the state of affairs right at this minute. But that's a snapshot of what it's like now. Mm-hmm. I think, I believe, and I've staked my professional career and most of my waking hours on the premise that you know, most people want to be decent people. Maybe we can help them and nudge them by, you know, helping to give them tools and words and ideas they didn't have before. Mm -hmm. And I think that'll do more than, um, more than most short-term measures for, for changing uh, where we're at, you know, those peaks and valleys. So what are your ideas for getting out of this valley? I just, I always try to make my clients, or sorry, you know, my client, my interviewees save the world in their interviews. So I'm just asking for specific steps. For the record, I am not your client, but I'd be happy to be. I'm sorry. I did not mean that she was a client. I'm just so used to saying client as therapist. No, my interviewee, I promise. (laughs) Well, in the short term, um, Oh, what's a polite word for regime change? <laughs> we really had to get rid of this we administration. We should have some structure change to the country. <laughs> um, and then restart a whole lot of conversations that I think stopped in January of 2017. Really? What conversations do you think kind of stopped? 
about how our diversity makes us stronger, mm. how we're a nation built of immigrants, yeah. how we've gone through this so many times before when various uh groups who were marginalized, who were considered less than, decided to stand up and fight for their rights. Mm -hmm. African Americans, people of color, women, indigenous peoples. And right now, this is the time for LGBTQ people to stand up. This is that moment. Mm -hmm. But we don't do it alone. You know, that, that's something to think about. You know, we don't do it alone. We have allies. We have all these other groups that have had to fight for their progress and fight for their future, too. And they're natural allies for us. Mm -hmm. Plus, you know, trans and LGBTQ people, we're everywhere. We're white. We're black. We're Hispanic. We're Catholic. We're atheists. We're Jewish. We're everywhere. Mm-hmm. So that makes it a little different from some groups, while at the same time, we share a whole lot with most groups. Mm -hmm. We're like the yeast in the bread. <laughs> <laughs> the rainbow bread. <laughs> with glitter on top. <laughs> of course there has to be glitter. You know, what you... For some reason, so I'm probably a little bit chaotic in this episode. Sorry, guys. But one of the things that I was thinking about, actually, was... So I was talking... I've, I have a lot of conversations with different people in the LGBTQ community. And somebody recently told me that they wished that people in the kink community weren't necessarily linked with the LGBTQ community. Um, and I understood where they were coming from because there are... What I, what I think was happening, and I could be wrong, is that like there are people who are visibly dealing with human rights violations all the time, and people in the kink community um, can almost like hide that part of themselves at times. So I think that's part of what was being said. But at the same time, one thing why you it just sparked it in my head is that you were saying, you know, there's a lot of different people in the community, and like it sounds like people coming together is more important than how you define or uh, not that I, I'm sorry, I don't want to say defining is not important, but what I mean is like when you have groups, sometimes they're small. And if you're not kind of working together as a team in a, in a sort of larger sense with other people, then sometimes you don't get as much um, voice for that larger group of I will say marginalized peoples. <laughs> it's not a good way of putting that. I'm always like really conscious of my wording around you too. <laughs> um, you know, there are people who would suggest that I be burnt at the stake for saying this. Some who might think oh, me no. a hero. Um, the truth as usual is somewhere far in between. I agree with that. Um, when you look at the LGBTQIA plus community, one yeah. of the more expansive um, initialisms for our community. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, hearing that, can't you imagine why so many of us prefer to use the term queer? Yeah. It's only five letters. Let's just use a blanket statement and get on with our lives. <laughs> you know, with LGBTQ, it's five. We only have 19 other letters left in the alphabet. But it's IA plus, actually. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, you break it down and we're really just looking at sexual orientation, gender identity, and then uh, intersex folk. Okay. So, you know, with kink, you know, some people describe this as a part of how they express their gender, okay. depending on the scripts and the roles that... that are a part of their their play and mm -hmm. and their and their sex lives. Okay. For other people, you know, they see it as a part of their uh, sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. You know that that they can't 
be romantic, they can't be sexually aroused, that they can't navigate attraction or attraction orientation, you know, without kink. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that they deserve some leeway and benefit of the doubt. I really think the rainbow umbrella of all umbrellas should be the largest umbrella and not an exclusive or exclusionary umbrella. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I I think there's a case to be made for that. Or would you say that, and again, I know it's everybody's different opinion, but um, I, I sometimes wonder if why why this particular person was saying it is because when recently with the gay pride parade or the LGBTQIA plus pride parade, rainbow pride, um, you know, like when people are on the outside looking in, sometimes when they see that part of things, it's 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 hard to understand, and then it, it's like they get linked, right? Like so people who still need to learn about the difference between being gay or being bisexual or being trans are seeing that and they sometimes just see it as a sexual thing instead of an identity thing. And um, I'm just curious what your thoughts are about that. Um, I don't think at this point yet most Americans realize the difference between gender identity and sexual orientation. Exactly. You know, being able to separate those two makes it a lot easier to look at gender and then gender expression. Mm-hmm. It makes it a lot easier to look at, you know, how consenting adults interact with each other sexually in form relationships, mm-hmm. be they lesbian or bisexual or gay or poly. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, without that really fundamental, you know, breakdown, which doesn't, you know, start putting people into different boxes. I really think that, you know, rather than being labels, you know, these terms are identities that liberate us to walk the world as who we really are and, and bring our whole persons to everything, be it a relationship, the bedroom or the workplace. Mm -hmm. And being transgender isn't necessarily a sexual thing. Right. Um, I'm saying this for people listening who are just learning. (laughs) Sure, sure. Um, And and it's good that you pointed that out. Um, Only um, 33% of trans people identify as heterosexual. And about 40% as either bisexual or lesbian and gay. And uh, the rest as queer. And a lot of that's generational. You know, mm-hmm. folks under 40, the single most used term for community is queer mm-hmm. because it's, uh, it embraces both sexual orientation and gender identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a lot of folks my age and older, um, it can be seen as you know, one of the first words that were used to hurt us for being who we were, mm-hmm. sometimes at a very young age. And I see both sides because I know that the term queer in all of its many different uh, versions, you know, was most definitely used as a weapon against me when very young. However, my spouse and I see it as the most expansive and and inclusive way to describe our relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, we're each one half of a queer couple, a same gender couple. So um, I think where we find the space for inclusion in our terminology is is where we we do better by tomorrow and i and i think that's where we can leave space for inclusion for um people who are kink you know people who are trans who may describe as uh, heterosexual or all the rest Mm -hmm. 
And it just sounds like, in general, as a society, we need to do better to educate. It's always about education and helping people understand what's out there, who people are, what does this mean to people, why is it important for us to be fighting for these rights, and... <sighs> Angela is in a space today, and I think it's because of what happened over the weekend with just seeing where the country is at times has been really disheartening. And I think you're right, you know, going back to the statement you made before, it's like we need some of those conversations to start again that were happening just a year ago or two years ago that kind of have gotten, I guess they've gotten put on hold because there's these bigger crises that we have to deal with. Lots of fires we're putting out. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, a lot of our fellow progressives and you know folks who normally would be very open to the idea of centering basic human rights for any number of marginalized and oppressed peoples um, find themselves more preoccupied wondering whether the person in the Oval Office is really on our dime or is working for the Kremlin. I, I mean, that's that's kind of scary, I guess. <laughs> so, it might be. So if you could magically have one thing happen for the LGBTQ community, what would it be? Here's your wand. <laughs> oh, gosh. See, I hate questions like this. You because... put it on your thing. <laughs> you did it to yourself. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Angela's telling the truth. This is completely true. So I hate questions like these because I can't think of just one. I mean, can I give you like my top 175? That's too many, but is... how about top five? <laughs> okay, okay. Compromise. See, this is how it works. We've we have forgotten. conversations. We work together as a team. It's a thing. We're modeling compromise <laughs> for all those out there who no longer remember what that looked like. Oh, I appreciate this. <laughs> so, uh, okay, I, I'll limit it to one. Oh, really? Okay. Um, I would just like for LGBTQIA plus Americans to be able to demonstrate every day who they are, be it the workplace, be it military service, be it in their churches, their communities, as neighbors, just give them the chance to show who they are and they'll measure up. Look at trans folk. You know, 5% of Americans have um, served in the military. Mm -hmm. That's a really large number when you think about it, even yeah. for a country the size of ours. But 14% of trans people have served in the military. That's almost 300% greater. So it's not that, you know, trans people are looking to get something out of military service, looking to get their medical bills paid. You hear things like that. Actually, trans people have always over-indexed for military service. And uh, so when I say, you know, that one big wish that we just get the chance to prove who we are, you know, I think of a lot of different kinds of folks and trans service members are, are one. You think in, in general, <laughs> you un we underestimate people in the LGBT. I'm not saying we personally, but maybe as a society and a culture, we underestimate what, what, I mean, I I understand because I mean, actually, the contributions are very great and amazing. I think sometimes when you have a lot to overcome, a lot of barriers, then you do you want you don't just want to like get to the base level. You want to go above and beyond because you finally have the opportunity to do so. You know. 
yeah, I mean, when we get the chance to, you know, to run with it, you know, mm-hmm. we've got our Da Vinci's, we've got our, we've got our, you know, our David Bowie's, we've got, we've got our Caitlyn Jenner's. Okay, scratch <laughs> that. Scratch that last one. I can come up with other names. Uh, well, I mean, to be fair, it was. While she's not necessarily your favorite or some people's favorites, I mean, people like her and other transgender folk who've come out and and been advocates have helped pave the way for there to be more people coming out at younger ages. So even if it's just a little awareness. <laughs> so all, all trying to be kind. <laughs> all kidding aside, um, you know, I might say that about Caitlyn Jenner, but my own mother told me that that meant a lot to her when Caitlyn came out because here's someone who was a sports figure, a celebrity, mm-hmm. really famous that for a lot of older Americans, they've known for a long time yeah. and, have, you know, respected them and made heroes of. And uh, for them to come out, you know, that and publicly transition really opened some eyes that I'm not sure would have opened in any other way. Yeah. So uh, I will I will happily concede that, even <laughs> though I sometimes am mystified by her politics. <laughs> and that's another story. <laughs> All right. Well, so um, one of this, I thought this is a cute final question. So what music do you listen to? <laughs> so totally left field, but I am curious. <laughs> uh, you're not going to be that surprised to hear that I have a pretty eclectic music uh, taste, musical taste. Um, mm. What am I listening to right now? So my official album of the summer has been Lizzo. Oh, okay. Very familiar with Lizzo. Just love her. (laughs) Um, That. um, Also been listening to a lot of 80s stuff lately, going through a period of nostalgia. I guess I'm entitled to do that. I'm in my early 50s, right? So (laughs) I feel feel kind of entitled. (laughs) So Dead Can Dance, um, a lot of uh, The Cure, Susie and the Banshees. X-ray specs. Well, sounds great. Thank you again for being on. Um, are there any final things you want to plug about, you know, like usually people put in a plug for their business or, or their website. So we're getting towards the end here. Any plugs you want to throw in? Sure. So you heard me talk a little bit about, you know, asking open-ended questions, not making assumptions, kind of some do's and don'ts, some best practices. For more information, if anyone is looking for that, mm-hmm. you can always uh, check out my website, um, www.transedservice.com mm-hmm. and see what my educational programs look like. Uh, other than that, I hope that next time you get the chance to vote in election, uh, that you might do so for uh, someone who supports LGBTQ equality. And that's all I got, other than thank you very much for letting me be here. Thank you so much for being on this show. And of course, you have been listening to www.aboutsexpodcast.com. If you want to find me, visit www.therapistinstlouis.com. And you can also check out my books, Helping Couples Overcome Infidelity and Premarital Counseling. They're both at Amazon. Um, I'm your host, Angela Skirtu. Stay kinky, St. Louis.